Hey guys, and welcome back to Phonication, the podcast dedicated to all things slimy that make you squirm. I'm your slimy host, Jack, and thank you guys so much for tuning in, joining me, listening to this podcast, supporting, doing all that you do. You guys are incredible. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday, safe from COVID and snow and toxic family members, debt from buying presents or just whatever comes with December. My holiday was amazing. We stayed inside and played board games every single day, like the party animals that we are. So speaking of party animals, let's immediately jump into the topic of today's episode, freshwater eels. If you're up to date on the reigning biology memes making their rounds again on the interwebs, you might be confused as to why I'm doing an episode on them. After all, this is a podcast about animal sex. And what can I truly say about sex between freshwater eels? And of course, The answer is nothing. I can't tell you shit about eel sex. Nobody can. The truth is, researchers don't know how eels get funky, which means no one can prove me wrong if I start hypothesizing that they engage in full-body docking. I challenge you, eel scientists. Prove me wrong. No balls. The first question I had is, how the fuck do we not know? I say we like I'm going out there doing the research. I'm not. (laughs) I'm saying we as a collective human race. You know, like, humanity. (laughs) So how do we, the human race, humanity, as a whole, not one out of all gazillion billion of us, not know how eels fuck? We have them in aquariums, we have them in home aquariums, we have eel farmers so that we can eat them, for Christ's sake. If they're shy about it, just put a camera in their tank. Voyeurism is legal when you do it to animals. And since when are scientists against being peeping toms? Like, it's their entire job, in every field. PhD in peeping tomfoolery. Is that the word? I just Googled it and got a solid perhaps. (laughs) So naturally, scientists were way, way, way ahead of me because, again, that's their job. (laughs) They tried that route. They don't fuck at all. They just will not. This has actually been stumping people for hundreds of years. Aristotle was perplexed. Pliny the Elder couldn't figure it out. Although he was wrong about, like, everything, so (laughs) never mind. But even Sigmund Freud, and actually, um, he was on some bullshit too in general, so I'm discrediting my own point. But still. (laughs) Ever since those crusty dudes were alive, the world as a whole was confused about eels. It brings us all together, I guess. (laughs) And it didn't help that the people who ended up dissecting them couldn't even find their sex organs. So those super smart fellows came up with some ingenious theories about where eels come from. They had winners such as being pooped out by bugs, actually being weird earthworms, spontaneous birth from the ground, transformed rocks, emergence from fish gills, and all sorts of theories of that ilk. And it's kind of easy to give credence to those theories because those origins are obviously so prevalent in nature. (laughs) God, I wish I was not being facetious. I'd give up sex for like two weeks for that to be true. So this leads us to the natural conclusion that If eels mate, and that's a big if, because bug poop is looking like a solid theory right now, but if eels mate, they clearly won't do it in captivity, only in the wild. Easy day. Let's stalk some wild eels, call some National Geographic cameramen, get this shit solved. They do harder things, right? Apparently not. No one could figure out where these eels were doing it. Anywhere they found eels in the wild, they weren't mating. So, more points for the bug poop theory. 
But enter Johannes Schmidt. In the early 1900s, this dude spent 18 entire years scanning the whole ass Atlantic Ocean. And as tedious as that sounds, it was actually really effective. His thought was that eels were migratory and were breeding in one set location. So he figured he'd kind of scan and then go in the direction of smaller and smaller and smaller eels until eventually he found the very smallest ones in the southern edge of the Sargasso Sea, which, by the way, is in the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) Tell me all your eel conspiracies. I am here for it. In order to talk about all the sex that is allegedly happening, most likely in the form of full-body docking, according to me, we have to discuss everything around the sex, like their absurdly complex life cycle. Honestly, it comes across a little try-hard. But it'll be a lot clearer why these poor, poor researchers had such an insanely hard time with this. Eels have a life cycle where every stage looks like a totally different species of eel. Not quite as drastic, I guess, as a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Think more like, um... A chihuahua versus a golden retriever. They're both dogs, but like they didn't come from each other, you know? So the cycles are called, so stage one is going to be larval leptocephaly, which are obviously going to be your babies, has the word larva in it. And then it's going to go into stage two, glass eels. And that'll be like, I guess, your toddlers. Stage three is called elvers, which does not have anything to do with elves, unfortunately. And those will be your moody, but not at all sex-crazed hormonal teenagers. Then we have yellow eels, who are kind of between teenagers and adults, so I guess the eternally infantilized millennial 20-something-year-old. And then finally, silver eels. That's going to be your real adult. They own a tie clip and a briefcase. They only drink martinis and only ever one, because then they get a headache in the morning. I also think that yellow eels would be the stage that you eat in unagi sushi, but I'm not positive, so somebody please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. I started trying to look it up and immediately found out that the eel seafood farming industry is super unsustainable and it made me sad, so I stopped. <laughs> but back to the point. These stages look so radically different from each other that until recently, researchers believed that they were actually different species, like I said. So they were stumped that they couldn't find any baby versions of the silver eels and they couldn't find any adult versions of the glass eels because they don't look the same. To make it even more difficult, they don't develop reproductive organs until their sexually mature yellow eels, which is the fourth stage. And then, just to make it even more difficult, they don't even develop reproductive organs until their sexually mature yellow eels. (laughs) Because why? And that's why when they dissected all those elvers and glass eels and they didn't find things like testicles, they were baffled. Because they don't have the tools to do the sex and to make the baby. Where do the babies come from? So I I guess it's a little more forgivable for assuming that babies come from bug poop. I probably would too. Now, the reason they have not been able to find them doing the sex is, again, because of their stupidly complicated life cycle. They start out in the larval leptocephaly stage, stage one, in the Sargasso Sea, which is already weird because we're talking about fresh water eels who live in fresh water, and seas have salt water. So honestly, good job whoever named them. In my opinion, freshwater eels should be renamed to catadromous eels because that term means that they spawn in saltwater and then they live their adult lives in freshwater. Except they actually don't completely. For the most part, they do, but not completely. You'll see. 
Real quick, I want to bring up the mechanism for this ability is actually pretty cool. Uh, in order to switch from salt water and fresh water, they essentially change their kidneys to be able to retain more salt and maintain salinity in their bloodstream. Whereas fish without this capability who enter fresh water just explode. Like, they actually explode. Like I was saying, though, they spawn in the Sargasso Sea, and that is weirdly for both the European freshwater eel and the American freshwater eel, two different species who live in two different areas. Then they start migrating to their ancestral homes, and the larvae just, like, know if they're Europe or America bound. Despite all being bred in the same location, they, they know where they live, I guess. It's super weird. Even weirder, considering that millions of years ago, when their migration patterns were created initially, the continents were significantly closer together. Like, Pangaea was only very recently deconstructed, I guess. But they still follow basically the same route, just adjusted for further distances, of course. Whereas I still have to use GPS to find my way to Whole Foods. I am a failure. I got a telescope for Christmas. I should teach myself to navigate by stars. I clearly need it. So by the time they finish their migration, they've grown a lot, and they've changed their appearance into stage two, the glass eels, which are still small and completely transparent. After they finish their migration and they turn into glass eels, they now enter the freshwater rivers, and they begin a flurry to get upstream. Kind of like salmon, honestly. You know how salmons do that thing where they jump all over each other, just fucking shit up, and then bears just hang out with open mouths waiting for them to jump into their mouths? That, but with tiny little worms. The ones who make the perilous journey upstream get promoted to level three, the Elvers. The super duper cool teenagers that are allowed to eat now, because before they couldn't. Freshwater eels are omnivores and bottom feeders, actually. They'll eat anything they can fit into their mouths. After they eat enough food and become big and strong enough, they turn into yellow eels. And now, they're allowed to have sex organs. <laughs> Imagine growing up with Barbie genitals, just smooth nothing down there between your legs, and then one day, after eating a particularly big meal, probably after Thanksgiving, you sprout a penis. <laughs> that would be the most horrendously awkward coming of age. I would hate that. I mean, I don't own a penis, but like, you get what I mean. You get it. <laughs> Eventually, towards the end of their life, it is time to put those shiny new genitals to work and actually mate and use them. Presumably. Allegedly. And like I said, the breeding only occurs in Sargasso Sea. No one knows why, but they make the year-long migration all the way back just to make babies because uh, nowhere else has good enough daycares, I guess. Also, despite researchers like Julian Dodson attaching satellite transmitters to eels to prove that they actually do make that migration, which he did recently, we still have not been able to determine the actual sex deed. <laughs> the current reigning hypothesis is that they do the thing that like a lot of fish do, where eggs are laid separately and then males go over the eggs and fertilize them, so like external fertilization. But because they haven't been able to find the goddamn eggs, they think it's like a, a flurried, violent sex fertilization gig and the eggs then get swept away in the currents. But who knows? Like I said, full body docking is not disproven. Go ahead and at me. <laughs> Before I actually end the episode, I want to throw out some more fun facts about various other eels that didn't really fit naturally into the episode, obviously. But they're still fucking cool, and I get excited about it, so I want to tell you guys. One is that garden eels in the Tokyo Aquarium are no longer used to human presence due to COVID, and that has created a problem. 
where before they were so used to human faces constantly against the glass that they were unbothered by humans. Now, when they see a human face, like their caretaker, they hide from them. And unfortunately, that kind of makes it impossible for the caretakers to assess their health. So in response, the Tokyo Aquarium put out an emergency call asking for volunteers to FaceTime their garden eels. (laughs) And people took up the mantle. And that just... That just warms up my heart that I pretend not to have. Number two, I found out that electric eels are not eels. Despite being called electric eels, (laughs) they are actually knife fish and they're not related to eels at all, despite their appearance and their name. (laughs) If nature starts constantly evolving eels the way that it already constantly evolves crabs, I'm gonna lose my fucking shit. (laughs) It's just, it's too much. Lastly, a wildlife photographer caught pictures of a live eel who had been eaten by a heron and busted through his stomach. And that sounds awful and morbid, and I wouldn't normally laugh at that, but the heron just did not give a fuck. He was still flying around, happily doing his thing, unconcerned about the eel flailing around halfway in his body, halfway out. Just like, busted out alien style. And... Even more insane, a wildlife expert actually chimed in and said the heron likely survived. Like, every time I think I'm a hard bitch, I read something like this and realize I am so soft and so squishy. And that's going to bring us to the end of the episode. Don't forget to check out the Patreon page. I will be uploading receipts of the donation for bees there. And thank you so, so much to those of you who contributed. It really means the world to me. I love the bees and I love you, honestly. And I will see you guys on the next episode. Bye.